You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through our Christmas Advent series. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. Like Pastor Robin said, it's a very familiar story, but it's been interesting and fun to bring forth key characters to your mind and teach topical. I've been having a fun time giving you just a few points, things that uh, the Lord's been speaking to me as I've been thinking about certain characters. Uh, in the Advent series at our own home, we have a little candle, you know, the four candles with the one in the middle for Jesus. And um, Laura usually is the person that, um, you know, draws out the questions and teaches us about the prophets and then the, the shepherds and then, you know, um, the angels, Mary and Joseph. This, uh, this Christmas season, she's just basically been saying, okay, kids, so like, what, what do you know about the prophets? And they're just like, daddy just taught on it. So... So I'm like covering it this year. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty great. Uh, but we'll still have maybe her quote the scripture. Like we have a family tradition where she quotes from Luke chapter two. So I know these uh, verses are very familiar, but I do think they are important for us to like listen to God's word. Don't forget that, especially even as you're reading the Bible. You may have read Ephesians before, but it's okay to read, read it again. Like don't, don't be like, well, check. Like we have a, a usually like a year reading plan. We mark it off. We read the whole Bible and then, uh, we just read it again. And God's word is active and it's living. And so um, obviously he brought you here for a reason. He wants to speak to you. He knows you. He knows exactly where you're at. And I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. It's supernatural. But he could speak to us and minister to us all at the same time. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty amazing. And so tonight we're going to look at another key character or characters, the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus. Can you imagine the role, the responsibility to be the parents of Jesus? Wow. And so uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We'll start with Luke 1, sort of chronologically. Luke brings this up, and it's, it's uh, pre-birth. It's the angel coming to Mary. And then we've already covered Matthew chapter 1, but I wanted to read it because uh, we were focusing on the prophets then, but I want, to, want you to sort of re-engage and think about Joseph's side of the story. So we're looking at Mary and then Joseph. Uh, So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And then Matthew chapter chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. And then we'll pray and we'll study like we always do. In verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So we have the names of these characters. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her 
whom he is, uh, who, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So that's Mary's side of this message. Now Matthew. Matthew records how the story took place and gives more a little bit how about an angel visited Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, verse 18, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And we know this prophet, as we studied, was Isaiah, where he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for these stories, for this perspective, for this truth, how you want to teach us about who you are from your word and equip us, Lord, to encourage us, to bless us. And so tonight, Lord, we just receive, Lord, a blessing from you. We believe, Lord, that you're going to minister to our souls as we have this discipline to worship you with our mind, to study your word, to take time to study and to ponder and to think, Lord. Would you give us revelation? Would you help us of your great love? Lord, as we've been studying every week over and over again, reading this story, we just thank you, God, that you're a consistent God, that you're faithful, that it's no bother for you for you to teach us about the same things over and over again, like how great your love is, how good you are, how, how much you give us mercy. And so I just pray, Lord, as we come to you again tonight, we're desperate again tonight. We need you, Spirit of God, to anoint my words, to teach your people to minister as only you can do, but yet we say amen and we have a confidence in that you can do this because you hear our prayers. You're a God that has done this over and over and over again, that you wanna meet right where we're at. And we see that even in the Christmas story where you're a God that comes down and meets us right in our brokenness. And so Lord, whether we have great energy tonight, whether we have low energy, Lord, we want to come and worship and study and be in your presence as we hear your word once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can be um, of your word in a house of prayer, praying to you and magnifying you and singing songs and giving offerings and just being a community that knows how to live by your grace. So may we live by your freedom, by your grace, the joy that you give us. May we enjoy this holiday season. And we just pray, Lord, that you would just meet us in a real special way. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, well, a familiar story, but... Can I get your attention? Can I get your mind? Can you imagine for just a moment being the parents of Jesus? Just think about that. Now, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, just imagine how awesome it would be to have a son who was perfect. I mean, I can imagine that. 
personally. But you guys, imagine that. But think about how stressful that would also be, having a son that's perfect. Like, from the start, the importance, the responsibility, it wasn't like, oh, they just, no, before he was even born, the angel Gabriel came from God, it said, and spoke a message saying, this is the purpose. This, this is important. Don't drop that baby, right? Like, you got some responsibility. This is going to be hardcore. A role of a parent is hard enough, let alone of the Messiah, but just think about it for a moment, the role of a parent. Many of you have been blessed by that. And even spiritual parents, the responsibility to disciple other people. God tells us in his word that kids are a blessing. Psalm 127, they would have had, verse 3 tells us that kids are a blessing, that we're to raise up children in God's ways. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 through 9 tell us that. And Joseph and Mary... Um, they weren't just placeholders for Jesus to grow up. They had a significant, powerful role in the life of our Messiah. Did you know that? Can you imagine that? He called them mom, dad. He would have had to obey them. He would have had to know their voice, to be dependent on these two characters that we're about to look at. Now, I know that none of our kids are Jesus, some of them aren't even angels at times. But we can imagine this. We know this, the great responsibility and how hard it is to be a parent. Don't forget that, though, how significant just the role of a parent is in your children's life. Like even me, even being a grown man, my parents still send me gifts. We have tons of gifts under our tree right now because my mom just sent little packages just full of just random stuff. Right? It doesn't matter even if your kids are grown, you're still a parent. A role of a parent is significant. And we see that God was giving this specific calling and this specific role to these specific people in history at this time. So much of the angel has said, Wow, you are favored. You are favored. Let us not forget that we are favored by grace if we have children, that they are a blessing, that our role is significant. And God chooses us to be parents. In that role, we shouldn't take it lightly. And so Jesus was coming, right? Not as a king, not as a grown man. We talked about last week how God's ways are different than our ways. The strategy was totally different. He was coming like us to empathize and to be a baby. He needed parents to provide for him, to protect him, to nurture him, to comfort him. Listen, if God gives us the role of parents, don't forget that. That is our role that God has given to us. And he wants to use that responsibility for others, to bless others. And whether we have children or not, we can know the role of being a child and the significance of having parents to give us birth, to nurture us, to care for us. That's why the Bible over and over again, even our study in Exodus is going to talk about how we as people should honor our mothers and our fathers so that we would live long, so that we would heed their advice, so that we would please the Lord because they actually represent God to our children. And so when we see the, the gift of our parents, God is the giver of all good gifts, and he's given us sometimes different roles. And so just as Jesus would have been honoring his parents, uh, we should be thanking God for them as well. Now, usually, as you go through the Advent characters, uh, it's really the prophet's the shepherds or the angels, and then Mary and then Jesus. You ever notice that? 
Now, rightly so. Uh, she is one that carried Jesus in the womb. And she should actually be favored and is a good godly example in this. Like, her faith is something to be looked at and to be examined. Uh, she was the virgin that was prophesied in all the prophecy to have a baby boy and to carry the Messiah, to love the Messiah, to have this great responsibility. And if you look at Luke chapter 1, back in your Bibles, in verse 2, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God, and she said, Blessed are you, speaking of Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of of your womb. We should be honoring Mary, and I think that's a very important thing. Mary should be honored for not only carrying Jesus, but also for her faith in this story and how she responded. Because in verse 45, it continues to say, as she glorifies God and receives all this information, she starts praising God and said, blessed uh, is she who, um, our, uh, Elizabeth tells Mary, God, blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. From the very beginning, we see her faith. She believed in what God spoke. Like, that's why the angel had to say, calm down or fear not. I'm from God. This is the message. And then she responded by faith. She could have been very fearful. She could have been very... Um, have not the right attitude, but Mary had great faith in the Lord, and she is one that we can follow, and one that we have a lot of text and scripture of. But I think sometimes as Protestants, we can buck at Mary um, because of the Catholic Church and sort of the, how the Catholic Church maybe esteems her too much. If you guys uh, have that Catholic background, you guys know um, this. Um, they teach how she is perfect, and she doesn't need a Savior, and we know scripturally that's actually just not right. She wasn't perfect. God chose her not because she was so great and perfect. It actually, she actually was chosen because she was human. God needed a human, a weak being. Remember last week how uh, the angels and, and how the shepherds teach us that God uses the weak? Mary was weak. And the angel tells Mary in verse 28 of this chapter of what we just read that she found favor or grace. She wasn't chosen because she was so good or so perfect or so special. It actually says it twice. She found grace. She found favor. She needed a savior just like you and me. God uses specifically weak and imperfect people, but that's because he is so perfect. He is so strong. And she actually understood this because in verse 46, where she does have that beautiful song of praise, she would say this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior just like you and me, but she was used by God. And this should give us hope because as we come and identify with our weakness, we can have a Savior that is strong, that gives us grace and can use us for significant roles, even though we're not perfect, even though we're not God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Just Flat out, we should not be praying to Mary or any saints, but God through Jesus. But we look to saints and we look to others and actually can build our faith and esteem Mary and other humans as godly examples. For Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 tells us, we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance and the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You remember Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. It's okay to have godly examples, 
to be discipled. God gives us others to look at, to be discipled by, and have godly examples. And Mary and Joseph in this text fulfill that role because they responded by such a beautiful way of faith. It's impossible to please God without faith, but yet the, you see she's just like, Lord, just I'm your servant. Do whatever you want with me. Mary wasn't the only parent, though, was she? God called not only Mary, but in this story in a special way, God called Joseph to be the stepdad. Stepdad. And yet he plays a significant role as a husband and a father in the story of Jesus' life and in Mary. Now, we don't really know much about Joseph because there's not as much text about Jesus. Most of Jesus' life in the Gospels were written when he started his ministry at the age of 30. And when, by the time Jesus was 30, Joseph wasn't around. Most scholars believe that he was most likely dead. Uh, he probably passed away or something happened. But we know that he's not there, which means, which I think is important, something we can all identify with, Jesus knew what it was like to lose someone in his life, maybe even a parent. And experience that type of abandonment or pain, Jesus is a man of sorrows and can identify with us losing people as well. So Joseph wasn't around, but we do know he did play a significant role on the formative years of Jesus because we have one simple text in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus goes to the temple and starts doing his father's business. You remember that story in verses 41 through 52? There, there he's sort of like, um, I believe it's the age of 12. And in Luke chapter 2, he goes to the temple and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Because they had gone every year back to Jerusalem to celebrate their feast. They're going. They thought, he, oh, he's with this cousin. He's with that cousin. Finally, like, he ain't around. So they go back and find him. And Mary and Joseph are worrying, meaning Joseph was still around while Jesus was 12 years old before he would have had grown into a man. So both Joseph and Mary raised Jesus in the ways of God because we see them annually going to the temple to worship. We see eight days later circumcising Jesus and making an offering in the temple. And so they were godly parents that influenced Jesus and Mary had a specific role to play in Jesus' life, but so did Joseph. They both had a position or a partnership to raise Jesus. God himself in flesh, Emmanuel, and the angel came to both of them. God called them in unique roles. And it leads me to my first point as I think about this story and I think about applicable stuff we could learn from. Point number one is this. God gives us unique and different roles, doesn't he? He gives us unique and different roles. We see this in parents, but we see this in Joseph and in Mary. One was there and saw him crucified. The other one was not. One, one was there that gave birth. The other one was providing. There, there, was, there was all sorts of things, and they had different roles. Now, I know this might be controversial in our culture, but God made people differently. Did you know that? God made male, and he made female. He made a marriage between one man and one woman, and they have unique roles. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to do a whole Bible study on this, but I did want to read this passage because it seems like in our culture they're making what's right wrong and what's wrong right, which the Bible prophesies would happen in the last days. And God actually doesn't value us by our roles or by our gender or what we do. 
He's actually given us by his grace these unique abilities that Mary or Joseph, did you notice they could not change? The angel didn't say to Joseph, hey, you're going to bear the son. Physiologically, that could not happen. And it did not diminish his role that he played in Jesus' life. He just had a different role, a unique role. Just like Mary, I'm sure how she fed Jesus and nurtured him as a mother, that's only something that she could have done and Joseph was more concerned about other things. And we, are, we should be okay with the roles that God has given us. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33, I just want to read this passage to you because it is about marriage and about parenting and about just the roles that is a, a, the picture of the gospel and how two people are, are equally valuable but have different roles. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Different roles. One marriage the two shall become one, but different roles. And although this is a different Bible study, you can actually go to our website. We taught through the book of Ephesians and covered more in depth of those roles. These roles are important for us, not only in marriage, but even in the body of Christ. Because it is God who chooses our gender. It is God who makes us male and female. It is God who places us in the church, who allots the time and the season that we should be born. God has a role to play in your life. And he wants you to fulfill the calling and the purpose that you have, whatever the role is different. Having different roles isn't just a marriage thing. It applies to the body of Christ. As Paul says, this is a profound mystery. Again, God's ways, our ways. It's a profound mystery that he actually chooses male and female and gives us different roles, not only in that, but we know it just in general in the world. Some are of different nationalities, different races, and those things are good and should be celebrated for every tribe, tongue, and nation will be in heaven. These things are actually okay and should be celebrated and are a gift of God. Where in our culture right now, it's like if you're one thing and you're not this thing, then we're going to hate you and isolate you because it's all a competition. And we actually don't value and celebrate the role of women right or the role of men right because we're actually just trying to value and esteem ourselves and trying to put the position on ourselves. And if we think we're going to be this or that and we can get do better or whatever, um, listen, then that's what we're going to do. But this whole philosophy plays out not just out there in the culture, it plays in the world. And that's why it had to be addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because I, I guarantee some of you probably think that 
you can't be used by God as much as I can be used by God because I'm speaking and teaching the Bible. But the reality is God has called most of you to different roles that are even greater than I. Your words, parents, are more profound and have a significant weight than even my role. Your word to a friend in a moment of crisis and being there present is going to display more love and is a greater weight than someone that is not a friend. We just have different roles. And we can sometimes argue within the church about, well, no, 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 the worship leader, or no, they're more godly because, look, they're part of the prayer team, or they just set up. Oh, but they do outreach and they evangelize. Oh, but they only give finances. And we start nitpicking and comparing one another within the church, don't we? Because we don't want to embrace the role that, we gave us, that God gave us. And Paul addresses this. Again, another Bible study we taught better together in a sermon series. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a great chapter on the different roles that God gives the church. And in verse 4 through 6, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts. Who you are and what God gave you is a gift. I don't care if it's your treasures, your talent, your time. Everything that you have is a gift and grace of God. And we all have different varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there is a varieties of service, but the same God, our same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. Paul later goes on to say, like a body, like the church is a body and like the hand cannot say to the, the eye, you're, in, you're unimportant. Or the eye can't say to the mouth, well, you're useless. All you do is talk. But rather, we all have a role to play. Aren't you glad that within the body of Christ we have a role? Listen, I know that right now we're on Sunday nights and we've always been a smaller church, but we are a gift to this community. We're a gift that God has called to love and serve and be ourselves, and we don't need to be ashamed to be that gift. This is God's grace. This is the act that God's given us. And so I praise God that there are bigger churches that have finances and are supporting millions of missionaries But I also thank God that there are a lot of smaller churches, that there are Baptist churches and and Presbyterian churches and Pentecostal churches and different flavors and styles because it is God who is the Lord of all and we're better together rather than dividing and being separate. And just like Joseph and Mary were called by God, you have been called and placed within a body and are different than one another. Sometimes in our flesh, we complain about that. But when we see as God sees and we see how he brought random strangers to actually enjoy and party hard this week together, can you even believe it? You didn't even know you could have that much fun or do whatever. You're like, why am I sitting at the table with this person? This is weird. That's the power of the gospel, that he literally places people together, not because of our interest, but because of his grace. And there is that grace for you all. You don't have to fight for God's grace. You just have to receive it. So if you're young, if you're old, if you've made mistakes, if, you, if you're killing at your job, like whatever it may be, it's grace and we can come and be a people of thanks. And this is the attitude that we have. But in the flesh, what do we do? We complain. Man, I wish there was more people here. I wish, we had, I wish I was like that. I wish I could speak in front of people or I wish I could do this. No, God has given you a place. You don't have to fight for your position. The angel came from heaven, told that person, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Listen, You don't have to fight in this church. You have a place. There's a role to play. We don't have to fight in our community. We can be ourselves. And God has called us whatever gift and grace he has to bring him glory. 
You remember what Peter said about the gifts in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11? He said, but as each has received a gift, we are to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's variety of grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we embrace the calling that God has in our season, that we're single or that we're married or that our children have grown or that we never had children, whatever it may be, we can embrace that and the Bible says we can glorify God. That should be our focus. Too often times we complain because the situation is hard. And that's my second point. Because even though you embrace your calling and we can teach all this, I want you to understand that God's plan is hard to live out. It's not all butterflies and rainbows, okay? And you need to understand that in Joseph and in Mary's story, it was really hard to take this calling in their life. It's really hard to have a small church, to think about in, in your budget and finances and how are we gonna pay this? Or it's really hard sometimes to have a dealing with uh, stuff you don't wanna deal with, like being in pain and still teaching or dealing with a broken foot and stuff like that. Like you just, you have to embrace life of where you're at. And being a Christian is not just saying, well, praise God for his grace. No, we also pray God for his mercy. We need his mercy because we go through a lot of stuff and we need him to intervene and we need his help. God's plan is hard to live out. And it was hard for Joseph and Mary. The calling included discomfort, struggle, and literal pain. Most scholars believe that Mary, at this point in her life, was a teenager. Can you imagine that? Just like most of the disciples, when they were called by the Lord, were most likely teenagers. It would have been a weight and a stress to say, hey, I know that you've never lived on your own. You're only a teenager, a virgin, very young, um, all that different stuff. Why don't you be the parent of the Messiah that everyone is going to look at you and been praying for for over 400 years because we haven't heard from God, from Malachi, the last prophet, and it wasn't that great. Can you imagine that? This is the weight a young person is taking on. And not only emotionally, but her whole body would be changing. Now, it's not that she would never expect to be pregnant. That's not the difficult part in the story. She was betrothed to Joseph. They were most likely going to have kids. They were of the lineage of the son of David. So they knew, oh man, we want to have kids. We're praying for the Messiah. This is great. The problem was the timing of it all. Oftentimes, it's not necessarily what happens to us. It's the timing of it. God asks us to wait, and we don't want to wait. God moves sometimes quickly. You don't even expect it, and boom, you get revelation, and you have to respond and apply and deal with stuff immediately. But now, this calling required her to tell Joseph she was pregnant. In any other circumstance, if they would have just waited after they were married, this would have been exciting, the best news of their lives. It would have been so great and amazing. But because of this calling, it would have brought stress. It would have brought pain. It would have brought discomfort. The natural bent when your fiance, in a sense, tells you she's pregnant and it's not you, you would imagine 
She had an affair and she cheated. She literally hurt me. Joseph now is going to go through emotional pain. And we actually see this because he wants to put the situation away quietly. He actually may, in the text sort of leans her, he doesn't even believe her. Because he said, I, I don't want to put her to shame. She's pregnant. He had the right, Deuteronomy chapter 24, to divorce her if he thought there was a divorce. So he was going to do this quietly, meaning... He was going to follow through Deuteronomy chapter 4, which meant he thought that she probably cheated on him. Betrayal. That was his calling. God literally, in a season, in a moment, before the angel came, brought Joseph through a point of stress and pain, and I cannot believe my life is over. There's shame for my one that I loved. Now there's shame for me. I thought my life was going to be this way, but now it is totally something different. I think we've all can relate to that, can go through that. Thank God it wasn't for a long time because in God's grace, an angel did come to Joseph. And he was going to do something that was quick, that was quiet. Just He was just and unwilling uh, to put her to shame. But the angel came and said, hey, she's going to bear the Messiah. You could believe her. This is the story. You have to imagine that this story was natural for people to believe that Mary had a disgraceful, shameful life. Even though they registered and went to Bethlehem, they were moving and going away from a, a situation that would follow them. Jesus in his ministry when he was growing up in John chapter 8, verse 41 The Pharisees didn't like his teaching. And so what they did is personally attack him and his mom. They said, we were not born of sexual immorality. That's what the culture thought of Jesus at the age 30. It still was with them. No matter how long Joseph was there, we know he was there until at least 12, it was with them. A shameful act. But yet God knew the truth. I'm so happy that there are verses that said God will defend your name. Especially as a leader, there's a lot of stuff that you get dragged in the mud and people think one thing when the situation is totally another thing. It's part of the calling. But the reality is, is God knew. And God would meet them and say, this is your calling. And so Joseph was being called by God to take care of Mary and live in a messy situation. To go into the mess. Just sort of like he was going into the mess. And just how he calls me and you to go into the mess as his followers, that we live in a dark, shameful, disgraceful place that rejoices in sin, and yet God tells Christians to go into the world and be light and salt. He was calling Joseph to go into that situation. The angel says, take Mary as your wife. And the text says he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. Now we would naturally think God would want to give Mary and Joseph their best life now. Or at least that's what most preachers on TV say. It's your best life now, man. Abundant life. But how do we define an abundant life? What is the best life now? How do we obtain the blessings of God? 
And this is how we have to define things from the Bible and not the standard. Because we see that the best life for them was to be close to Jesus. That was their best life. That was the abundant life and the call that God had for them. It was to be close to Jesus. Can you imagine Mary if she had a bad attitude? Didn't have faith? Didn't, I don't want to be your servant. This is terrible. I'm not telling anyone about this. No way. Or even imagine I'm going to abort this baby. Or Joseph to run away. I'm not, I'm, I'm not dealing with that problem. Most people, when you deal with the problem, you, fi- you face a problem, you just bolt. You get out of there. But both of them had faith to go through a painful, uncomfortable process. And that uncomfortable path brought them closer to Jesus because they actually got to have the most intimate times with the baby Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. The shepherds, they saw him for just a night and they rejoiced. The wise men traveled far and wide to go see Jesus and gave him birth. Joseph and Mary got to sing lullabies to God. They got to snuggle and tickle Jesus. Teach him how to talk, how to walk, to wipe off his knees when he would have fallen, to teach him manners, the Hebrew language, educate. Think about how intimate they had and the pathway was through pain. As Christians, the Bible says, first is suffering and then there is glory. And we cannot run away from the calling of God has just because it's hard or even painful. Because in those times, like you and I can experience, we have the most intimate times with Christ, being dependent on him. And God said, I'm gonna bring you through this. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. And because of their obedience, Mary and Joseph got to raise Jesus. Listen, because of your obedience, you will have intimate, powerful times with the Lord and experience things like the joy of the Lord in suffering, like seeing God provide when you're poor. Like you'll see miracles happen as you experience this life and even go through hardship. Why? Well, the last point is God blesses obedience. And they were being obedient, not based off of their faith, feelings, but off their faith of what God said. Both Mary and Joseph had a posture of trust to obey God's plan and his word. In verse 38, Mary said to the response of this painful path, this hardship, this this whole like, I wasn't thinking that, like that would be my life. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Yes, Lord, use me. I'll obey. She didn't rejoice and praise God for the situation. We don't have to fake it until we make it and say, okay, I'm just going to just thank God. Oh, yeah, everything's great. No, man, you're going through pain. You should weep. And we as Christians should weep with those that weep. It's okay to mourn. There's a whole book of lamenting and psalms and going through suffering. But we can say, but Lord, you could still be blessed in my life. I'll obey. Joseph in Matthew 124, it says that he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. There was a command to do something and Joseph did it. That's why he was blessed. It does not say anything about his emotional health right here. Doesn't even say that he cried himself to sleep. Some of us, we can be a mess. We can cry ourselves to sleep. 
That doesn't mean it's obedience or not. What will we do with God's word? How will we respond? What will be our action? Because Mary and Joseph obeyed and they surrendered their plans to God's plans. And it was by this obedience that the Bible says and defines what worship is, to give worth to, to submit, to be a servant, and then they became parents to Jesus. God blessed him as they obeyed his will and his word. And God blesses us as we obey his will and his word. They got to raise Jesus. They got to see miracles. They got to experience something special. But the Bible promises us blessing just like that as we surrender to God's plan. We're going to be able to see Jesus more. We're going to see miracles happen. We're going to experience something special in this life. For Jesus himself taught us this. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This should always be the posture of us as we go to God's word. How can I obey this? Not, man, that was a great Bible study. Or, oh, that was, that was really cool. A little nugget. I didn't know about that. Or a Greek word or a fact. What will you do with the revelation God gives you? We could thank God that he gave a great message. That he speaks and, and he has his mystery and he's sovereign. And he could write this to match up with that. And it's all great and fun. But too many Christians stop at just writing down some notes and not having their lives as a living epistle. Because they don't want to go through the pathway of pain. They don't want to surrender to the Lord in obedience. They're living off of their emotion, not off of their faith. But God has a calling for us all. And it's okay to say, God, I need your help. I feel me again to obey. And that's why we need to take process, the time to pray, to respond as we go to these Bible studies to say, okay, Lord, those are some great points. How do I apply that now? Spirit of God, teach me to live in response to situations when, I, when I'm frustrated and I have to wait more or my plan didn't go as expected. God, give me grace and patience for that and, and help me to obey you. Because as we trust God by faith and obey him, we are blessed. We experience his plan in our lives, which is good and best for our lives, even though the world would say not. And so as we look to Joseph and Mary, we can be encouraged because they're godly examples for us. Mary, you should do a deep, in-depth study. All of Luke chapter one is about her and then she sings this beautiful praise and, and worships the Lord and, and is throughout the ministry, even at the foot of the cross where Jesus is crucified. She's there and she's, she's a person we could look to. And Joseph, we look to his example, but just know that they're different. And I hope that you, God has placed people in your life so that you could look to their example. Even if there's a few people in your life that maybe you're just being discipled or influenced by a book or even just listening online, a podcast, or maybe there's someone God placed in your life that's significant that you meet weekly with or you come in part of the body in the church, God places different people in our lives to be examples, and that's okay because he wants not only Mary and Joseph to be examples to us, but he wants you to be examples to other people. We're in the business of making disciples. We should always be learning from others, but then passing that on to other people. And this was a huge moment in Joseph and Mary's life. God gave us these characters to say, man, it could be done. And I just want to remind you, it could be done with you. God has called you and may look different than what you even imagined or thought. But as you obey him, you will be blessed. And so let's take time to ask the spirit of God to help us apply it now. Let's take communion and remember all of Jesus' power 
that he can actually empower us to do so. Because he, he lived a perfect life we couldn't live. He died, he rose again, and he did that so that we can have access to his spirit and to walk with God. And so God, we just wanna thank you so much for your calling on everyone's life here listening. We thank you so much that we can follow Joseph and Mary's example. We thank you, Lord, that you've placed people in our body that we can follow example. I pray, Lord, that um, as Robin and I serve as elders, we would be examples to the body. But Lord, it's not just an elder or a pastor that can be an example to others. We need older women to disciple younger women or older men to disciple younger men. And we need, Lord, one another. And whatever role or whatever situation we're in, whether we're discipling or need to be discipled, Lord, we just trust, Lord, that you have placed us here for a reason. And so we just bless you. We thank you. We just pray for strength. I pray, especially in this holiday season, those that are in the room and even outside or even listening later, Lord, I pray you bring comfort and strength. I pray that they would know they're not alone if this is a hard season. So oftentimes, it's, it's in the midst of celebration that we also weep. There's a night and a day light and darkness in one day, Lord. We go through so many different things, God. And so I just pray for those in this holiday season that are hurting, that maybe emotionally have a hard path to walk through because you've called them to a certain path. I pray you'd strengthen them. I pray their posture and attitude would be one of obedience, one that would embrace the calling and one that would receive blessings. Lord, this may have been terrible news for a moment for Joseph and Mary to walk through this thing, but yet it actually was used for your good for them to be built up in their faith. I pray in whatever situation we're going through, Lord, whether it be good or bad, that you would help us realize it's just for a season and that you can use this season, whether we're in a high or low, to bring you glory and to walk us through and to build our faith. So build our faith, Lord. Thank you, God, that we can come to you and remember your work that you did on the cross. That there was first suffering before there was glory. Before the resurrection, there was death. And so we thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. We thank you, God, for being a great Savior, full of mercy and grace towards us. Would you help us to walk this life being salt and light, empowered by your Spirit? to live wisely until our last breath or until you come. We thank you, Lord, that you are coming and will you tell us to take communion and remembrance not only of what you've done, but how you will return. Be the Lord and Savior of our lives. We love you, Jesus. We need your strength. So thank you so much for who you are and what you've done in our lives. May we remember your grace as we just take time to thank you and pause again and glory in your name. We bless you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.